0: Would you turn in your Bibles with me to Psalm 148? Thank you, son. Psalm 148. If you haven't been with us the last few Sundays, we are in a series called Summer in the Psalms, working our way through a few different Psalms, so jumping around the Psalter a bit. And this morning we find ourselves. In Psalm 148. And <clears throat> before we get actually to the text, I want to ask you when was the last time you really thought about praise? When is it? Where is it? Why is it? Who and what is praiseworthy? A sunset? A baby? A Ferrari? Fresh-made strawberry rhubarb pie comes steaming from the oven, oven from the loving hands of my bride with a fresh scoop of Tillamook old-fashioned ice cream that just starts to melt a little bit across the top of the crust to get shoveled greedily into my mouth. What gets the best of your praise and why? What gets the best of your praise and Why? Should praise be spontaneous, the surprise that hits you that first time you eat a gourmet mint chocolate chip marshmallow from the mixing bowl after having just browned and melted it above, crackling wood over your brand new solo stove on Independence Day, and joy explodes in tiny, teeny little taste buds. Isn't it amazing how something so small could give you such amazing pleasure, and you exclaim in praise of sweet satisfaction over whoever created such a marvel of puffy pleasure? should praise be planned, like a well-thought-out birthday party with all the trimmings and cards filled with pre-written words of adoration and love, like the songs sung on a Valentine's Day for your true love, like the songs that we sing intentionally on Sunday mornings with prayers and words and lyrics and notes, which is more truly praise, the spontaneous or the planned. Is praise a duty or a joy? And if it's not a joy, is it still praise? Which comes first, the praise or the joy? Did you know, would it surprise you to know that God himself wrote praise songs? It might, depending on how you think about praise and its boundaries and qualities, but he did, and as you could Im- could imagine, unlike some of our praise songs that we have written, his have stood the test of time, like 3,000 years of time, and they're still being played and still being sung. They, they instruct us. They inspire us, reminding us of what praise is and when it is and where it is and why it is. Of who and what is praiseworthy? Answer, almost everything. It's just that some things are more worthy of praise than others. Number 148 in your songbook, you own a songbook, it's called the Psalms in the Bible, is one such praise song. And it commands us to raise a hallelujah. And it gives us plenty of reasons why we should. Even better, it opens up a world of reasons of why we would want to praise. Now, in the Bible, the word "hallel" means praise. And so hallelujah comes from, and it almost feels blasphemous to say, but Yahweh himself almost kind of had a nickname. where They would shorten it and he would, and you find in the scriptures in the Old Testament, Yah. And so you take Hallelujah Yah means to praise Yahweh. So when you say Hallelujah, maybe you didn't know this, you're praising Yahweh. You're calling for others to praise Yahweh. And so to catch that, because this Psalm begins and ends with that hallelujah. I want to get that into our English Standard Version translation. And so instead of praise, we're going to say hallel, hallelujah. And I want you to stand now because I want to put, just like we just put words in your mind. Like worship leaders are really powerful, right? Not even I put words in your mouth, but they put words in your mouth. And so I want to put these words literally in your mouth this morning, so we're going to read them together. Psalm 148, verse 1. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, Yahweh from the heavens. Praise Him in the heights. Hallelujah Him, all His angels. Praise Him, all His hosts. Hallelujah Him, sun and moon. Praise Him, all you shining stars. Hallelujah him, you highest heavens, and you waters above the heavens. Let them hallel the name of Yahweh, for he commanded and they were created, and he established them forever and ever. He gave a decree, and it shall not pass away. Hallel Yahweh from the earth, you great sea creatures and all deeps, fire and hail, snow and mist, stormy wind fulfilling his word, mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars, beasts and all livestock, creeping things and flying birds, kings of the earth and all peoples, princes and all rulers of the earth, young men and maidens together, old men and children, let them Hallel the name of Yahweh. For his name alone is exalted. His majesty is above earth and heaven. He has raised up a horn for his people. Praise for all his saints, for the people of Israel who are near to him. Hallelujah. This is the word of God. You may be seated. Would you pray with me? Father, what we know not, teach us. What we have not, give us. What we are not, make us. For the sake of your Son, our Savior. Yes, and very amen. In Jesus' name. I believe we're going to learn two main lessons from this song this morning. First, I have discovered in this song that wide-eyed wonder is the fuel of all our hallelujahs. So it is time, and I've said this to you before and I'll say it to you again, it is time to be a kid again. It is time to engage our curiosity if we've lost it. Time to set aside the cynicism and dullness that can come with age and years and let the psalmist cut the calluses of disinterest from our eyes to see, to really see what is all around us again. For some of us, that could take a miracle. But let's ask him to do it. If we want, because I believe, if we want to raise a hallelujah to praise Yahweh, I think that what this psalm is teaching us is that wide-eyed wonder is the fuel of all of our praises. So that's the first and main lesson that we're going to learn from this psalm. And if that's the cake, the icing is the power that returns to us from our hallelujahs. Because I believe that praise benefits us. It creates joy and dispels darkness and fans the flame of hope and increases our sense of the presence of Yahweh and its melodies are weapons in our hands in the face of an array of enemies who stand against us. So that's our cake and our icing. Are you ready? Here we go. Now, there are There are all different kinds of forms of music in this world, right? One of them is classical music. And in classical music, primarily, it talks about, they talk about movements that happen throughout the music. And while that's really true in classical music, I think it's probably true of all music. The songwriter seeks to take us through stories when we listen to songs Generally, and I think that's what's happening here in Psalm 148. It has three major movements of praise that at least I can see. Movement one is the heavens above, verses one through six, and movement two is the earth beneath, verses seven through 12. Now here's what I let me give you the big picture of those two main movements there are 30 agents of praise that are listed in this psalm. I think that's the main idea, that these 30 agents praise Yahweh. The secondary aim, I think, in this psalm is that their existence and their activity inspire us into praise of Yahweh. Here's a way to think about what I think we see in Psalm 148. Anybody ever been to a planetarium? planetarium, right? It's kind of of like this gigantic bowl that they take and they put it upside down and then you walk in underneath it and they throw all kinds of stars and constellations, all those things that Jonathan was talking about, right, up on that planetarium. And, And you kind of feel like small and you see all the wonder of it. Like Psalm 148 is our planetarium of creational glory. And so he is trying with words to create a sense of wonder in us, which is why we need imagination and curiosity this morning, right? It's, it's like we're going to go on kind of a Discovery Channel ride, okay, through creation. First up, the highest heavens. The heavens above our heavens. The spiritual realm filled with supernatural and yet still created beings, angels, Messengers, warriors, the myriad millions of Yah's armies. You see there in verse 2. Praise him, all his angels, all his hosts. Now, on your planetarium, you might be seeing right now a soft, dewy, tear-eyed, button-nosed, blonde-haired, white, feather-winged, clothes wearing angel curse you precious moments. And I just want to apologize. Those are not real angels. (laughs) They are the creation of biblically illiterate artists who have not seen what the true artist actually formed and breathed life into. Now maybe that's because they're merely trying to satisfy the masses who want angels, you know, cute like teddy bears, you know, all cuddly that you can kind of get your arms around. But I ask you, Do precious moments angels evoke wonder and awe for you? Nope. But real angels do. I've often said that when real angels show up in the Bible, people pee themselves. Think about it. The first thing that... I might have to apologize to someone for that later. The first thing that angels usually have to say is what? Fear not. Why do you think that is? Because they're fearful. They evoke awe. Listen to Ezekiel. Behold, a whirlwind came out of the north, a great cloud, and a fire enfolding itself, and a brightness was about it. And out of the midst thereof, as the color of amber, out of the midst of the fire, also out of the midst thereof, came the likeness of four living creatures, angels. And this was their appearance. They had the likeness of a man and everyone had four faces and everyone had four wings and their feet were straight feet and the sole of their feet was like the sole of a calf's foot and they sparkled like the color of burnished brass and they had the hands of a man under the wings on their four sides and they had And they four had their faces and their wings. Their wings were joined one to another. They turned not when they went. They went every one straight forward. As for the likeness of their faces, they four had the face of a man and the face of a lion on the right side. And they four had the face of an ox and the face of an eagle on the left side. Thus were their faces. And their wings were stretched upward. Two wings of every one were joined one to another and two covered their bodies. Apparently that's not marketable for precious moments. And it is no surprise that angels like that created such wonder that when humans in the story came into contact with them, they were tempted to fall on their faces and worship. To hallel them. Verse 3. Halleluhim, sun and moon. Praise him, all you shining stars. hallelujah, you highest heavens and you waters above the heavens. So we move down now from above the heavens to the heavens above us. And we see there a flaming ball of never-ending fire with the potential for world-ending explosions. A Death Star before the Death Star was a gleam in George Lucas's eye. It is so hot and so flaming that when I go on a prayer walk on Thursday, before I write the sermon, this orb, 94.507 million miles away, warms me and turns my skin pink. We see in our heavens a grayish rock that is fairly unspectacular until you realize that it can light up the night almost as bright as the day when it's full and it exerts a pull on our oceans and seas that causes them to push against their boundaries and then recede. And floating through our heavens are various levels of atmosphere that hold various levels of moisture. Gigantic storehouses of hydrogen and oxygen that weigh one million tons, we call them clouds, from which spill countless droplets that give life to plants, animals, and bipedal creatures made in Yahweh's image. And to all of these, our worship leader turns takes his little baton, wraps the music stand, and says, Hallel him. Now, we'll get to what that means a little bit later. How inarticulate things or things that can't speak a language can praise. But what I want you to notice right now is where that conductor aims the praise. To whom? Verse 5 let them hallel the name of Yahweh. For he commanded and they were created. He established them forever and ever. He gave a decree and it shall not pass away. It is Yahweh with only his words who brought angels and sun and moon and waters and the heavens in which they all reside. As Jonathan told us, billions of light years of universe and galaxies, worlds without end, he brought that into being from nothing <laughs> no raw materials, no substances. they weren't. He spoke and then they were. So if these wonders of creation, in the joy of their existence, desire to express their gratitude for being, doesn't it absolutely make sense that they would praise the being that brought them into existence? But there is another movement now in this expansive song and it is just as awe-inspiring and wonder-provoking, the earth below. Verse seven, hallel Yahweh from the earth. You great sea creatures in all deeps, Do you know that one of the most helpful things that you can do to evoke wonder is watch the Discovery Channel? Because it, isn't it fantastic that the Discovery Channel or the BBC can take you to places that you can't afford to go, can take you to places that you wouldn't be able to go because you don't have all the equipment and you don't have all the gear and you don't have all the stuff, that they can show you Blue whales and great white sharks and bottlenose dolphins and turtles and and, and, eminimini, however you say that word. Squid and sea lion, shrimp and seal, clam and coral, and on and on and on. An entire world that is as yet unexplored. Hallel, Yahweh, verse 8 Fire and hail, snow and mist, stormy wind fulfilling his word. Did you know that one of the most helpful things that you can do to evoke wonder and awe is to get outside? Now, I know generally that that seems not to be as much of a problem here in Salida, Colorado. But how many walks do you go on? How many hikes to go out your door and please please, don't take your earbuds. Don't put big Bose noise-canceling headphones on, drowning out the noisy creation around you. Because then you can't hear a thunderstorm to see fire. Fire, which I think the psalmist, that's what he called lightning. Fire going through the sky and the Air clap in response with crash and rumble. Hey, have you noticed how many early mornings Yah has rolled up? Yahweh rolls up. I, you guys, I've been here four months. It is stunning where we live. It is stunning where we live. I walk down Poncha Boulevard and I take a left on a street and I don't know a lot of street names. And I go down and I see Methodist Mountain, I can't tell you how many mornings it, that God has just rolled up, right? Hydrogen and oxygen like bunting from a quilt. He's just placed it in the crevices of Methodist Mountain and Poncha Mountain. Mist. Have you considered the glory of frozen droplets that fall from the sky? N.D. Wilson. Snow is so overused. One sentimental, overly structured ice flake might have some value, but God never seems capable of moderation or of understanding the basic concepts behind supply and demand. He constantly devalues his own products. Give me one flake, a cool room, and a magnifying glass, and I can admire its artistry. But right now, I'm sitting by my window on a Christmas night, staring out at winter wastefulness in the extreme. Miles of clouds, larger than states, have turned into crystal stars that now streak silently past my window to their deaths. Well, not quite silently. The stars are falling fast enough that if you step outside like I just did, you can hear the whisper of collisions and delicate frozen impacts, each six-pointed perfection complaining as it arrives. John Gay, hallelujah can be an inarticulate noise, a la-la-la-la-la sound. So being unable to articulate sentences is no barrier to giving praise. Much of the heavens and the earth is noisy, and noise has the ring of praise about it. Hallelujah requires noise and much of creation expresses itself in noise. The bellowing of sea creatures, the swish of waters in a river, the howl of the wind fulfilling his word, verse eight. (laughs) To which Salida say, amen, we know about wind. Do the stormy winds of Salida bother you? It's curious to me how many people have said to us, we're sorry about the wind. Like, as if you had something to do with it. <laughs> we, we should have warned you better. Like, we hope you don't leave. People have said that. But family, these stormy winds are fulfilling His word. They are an expression of His purpose. Their speech Points to their source, and they evoke wonder if we'll let them. My friend Nancy, I remind myself that spring winds push away winter and make room for summer. Beautiful. Jesus, you know well enough how the wind blows this way and that. You hear it rustling through the trees, but you have no idea where it comes from or where it's headed next. That's the way it is with everyone born from above by the wind of God, the Spirit. So maybe wind was created just so Jesus, hey, have you ever thought of this? Maybe wind was created just so Jesus would have a metaphor to help us understand what the Spirit is like. So that every time we see this wind seemingly unstoppable and powerful, uprooting things and moving them in ways that we don't completely understand, maybe every time we saw that, we think about the Holy Spirit and his power and his unstoppable nature and force. Maybe that's why we have wind. So maybe we, more than any other people in the country, should say, hallelujah for Salida spring winds. We see more of God than anybody else. Verse nine. Hello, mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars. Andy Wilson again. Tree, I say, and you know what I mean. You see one in your mind, or you glance out your window and you remember the much-needed pruning. Tree. God says, and there is one. But he doesn't say the word tree. He says the tree itself. He needs no shortcuts. He's not merely calling one into his existence, though his voice creates. His voice is its existence. That thing in your yard, that mangy apple or towering spruce, that thing is not the referent of his word, it is his word and its referent. If he were to stop talking, it would not be there. Now, this is Bill Wilson. Imagine a poem written with such enormous, three-dimensional words that we had to invent a smaller word to reference each of the big ones, that we had to write the whole thing in shorthand, smashing it down into two dimensions just to talk about it. Or don't imagine it, look outside. Human language is our attempt at navigating God's language. Oh, that's good. Because what? Because he's constantly speaking. He's using syllables, and all of those syllables in those words are everything that you see around you. And our language is just an attempt to try and navigate all of these words that he's constantly pouring forth into existence and holding them all up by the word of his power. So our language is just our attempt to run between the lines of his epic, climbing the vowels, building houses out of the consonants. See that thing? What thing? That huge pile of stone that climbs to where the air gets thin. Yes, it has a lot of syllables. Let's call it a mountain, okay? When I say mountain, that's what I mean. It'll be easier than building one every time. Is it supposed to blow up? Let's call it a volcano. (laughs) And before we can catch our breath, the song presses On, presses us on, verse 10. Beasts and all livestock, creeping things and flying birds. Hallel, Yahweh. A hike would continue to service, would it not? Have you watched and heard a furry little beast on a mountainside? We use the shorthand marmot. Or how about along 291 where the first time I passed along 291 on the left there headed toward Buena Vista, I almost dro- drove off the road because I saw these really weird weird animals with long stretched out necks prancing along through a pasture like this and they were all woolly and, and weird looking. And God says, alpaca, and to see one is to know that he has a whimsical streak And just one prayer walk, just one prayer walk, one prayer walk is filled with things for me to be fascinated with crawling along the ground beside me and soaring through the air above me. Winged, small-bodied creatures that make sounds that sound like grief. Mourning doves. Or that sound like joy. Songbirds. Or that sound like death. Red-held ta- red-tailed hawks diving at 120 miles an hour. I told you earlier whom they must praise, and the song repeats it in verse 13, and we're going to get there in a minute. But let's come back now to our earlier question: How do sun and moons, blue whales and tanagers, falling snow and a moon at night, halel, ya, when they can't say words? By being themselves. By doing what God created them to do. When I was on a walk the other day and I saw two mule deer fawns prancing along, they were praising Yah. When I saw a little red fox, not 30 seconds later, run out over uh, fairway number one at the Slida golf course, frolicking through the grass. He was praising Yah. A, red hel- a red-tailed hawk praises God by descending at 120 miles an hour to take out a rabbit in a bloody mist. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim his handiwork. Day to day pours forth speech. And night to night reveals knowledge. Their voice goes out through all the earth. And their words to the end of the world. So go on a hike. Take out your earbuds. And hear creation roar. Praise to Yahweh of raising their voices to the God who created them. For his majesty, verse 13, is above all the heavens and all the earth, so all the earth praises him. Do you marvel at his creation? Does it fill you with wide-eyed wonder? Or do you just drive in your car down US 50 looking for the next song to play? If his creation is this impressive, can you imagine how impressive he is? So the conductor waves his wand at us with expectation in his eyes and urgency in his arms. Hallelujah, Yahweh, kings of the earth, and all peoples, princes and rulers of the earth, young men and maidens together, old men and children. There is no dimension of humanity above being involved in this praise. There is no authority, no ethnicity, no position or office, no age group or gender that is left out of the totality of this demand. And humanity itself is a cause for wonder. Are you amazed at finger's? Like, what is it that the synapses, what's going on in the synapses of my brain right now that's causing my hand and my fingers to do that? I have no idea. I, I don't even, like, I'm just doing it. I don't know. And, and you're like, stop doing it, dude. Like, <laughs> and what of entire worlds of small creatures that are living and surviving on the pastureland of my skin that most of you don't want to know about? And consider your tongue for all its grossness. I mean, it looks like a giant slug was placed inside your mouth. Without it, you would not know the pleasure of strawberry rhubarb pie or the savoriness of a filet mignon when you can afford one or the tartness of a red wine or the bubbliness of Coke or the cool sweetness of a hot fudge malt or the joy of a French kiss. We are marvels of design and purpose. We are wonders to behold. And even as we are the pinnacle of creation, we are not the pinnacle of existence, which makes us unworthy of worship, despite the aims of Instagram, despite the aims of so many who laud rulers and pop icons and celebrities. No. Hallel, like here in Psalm 148 is being described, is for Yahweh, for his name alone is to be exalted. His majesty as the creator is above all the creation found in the highest heaven, heaven, and all the earth. Hallelujah. So what is verse 14 about? Because it puzzled me this week. Yahweh has raised up a horn for his people. Hallel for all his saints. For the people of Israel who are near to him. Hallel for all his saints? For the people of Israel? After the entire psalm has been about raising a hallel for Yahweh, and Yahweh alone, he alone is worthy of praise? Huh. Huh. David wrestled with this back in song number eight in our songbook. Jonathan read it for us earlier. He too pondered the majesty of Yahweh, meditated upon the heavens, the work of God's fingers, heavenly beings, sheep and oxen, beasts of the field, birds of the sky, fish in the sea, all of it. And he wondered, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? David was amazed and filled with wide-eyed wonder and awe at God's creation, and further, that a God of such majesty should have elevated little old Israel. And he would set his affections on a people because of his loving kindness and care. And I think this is how we want to use the Bible to help interpret the Bible, to answer our questions. So I think that the observation by David and Psalm number 8 infirms what is going on in 148. Namely, that God's creative power undergirds and gives us confidence in God's redeeming power. A power that moves him to care for a people, to draw near to them and draw them near to him. Verse 14. What is man that he would be mindful of us in this way? A couple of weeks ago, we were on a hike with some friends. They're visiting as they're on furlough from Dakar, Senegal. And I've noticed as I've walked around Salida, these huge ant mounds that we find along hiking trails and in pasture lands, right? You've seen these. You all know these big ant mounds, right? And so we're walking along on this hike, and we we come along to this ant mound, and we're on a water break. And so Tim walks over, and he's kind of curious about it, and he takes his foot, and he knocks the top off. And immediately, a bunch of ants come, like, flooding out of the little holes that have been uncovered, right? And it, and it struck me right then that I thought, I wonder what it's going to be like on the evening news in Ant World. <laughs> you know, when, when they're pulling up CNN, you know, the Colony News Network. And, and I pictured what it might have been like. We go now to Bob coming to us live from mound number 1043. Frank, I'm here at mound number 1043 and as you can see behind me, a disastrous event of epic proportions has happened. One of our gods, for no reason that we can tell, just toppled the mound. We've got 143 dead, countless injured, multiple larvae, potentially unable to further develop, and work to rebuild the mound is now underway. The workers from mounds 1042 and 1044 have been here immediately trying to rebuild the mound. Frank, back to you. You see, to ants... We are gods. Imagine a little ant songwriter penning this tune. What is the ant that you are mindful of him? The son of the ant that you would care? Can you imagine giving your life to save an ant? Can you imagine saying, shrink me down, get me to mound 1043 so I can help out? That's crazy. (laughs) You... You would never give up your humanity to become an ant, would you? I wonder how you think you appear to the real God. Isaiah, for all the nations of the world are but a drop in the bucket. They are nothing more than dust on the scales. He picks up the whole earth as though it were a grain of sand. And this majestic God looks down and sees the chaos of our little colonies, our little kingdoms, our skirmishes and need with civilizations toppling and he raises up a horn of salvation for his people and he turns to his one and only son and says, go down to these ants. Become one of them. Shrink yourself down to their size. Take on their smallness and frailty and tininess and let them crush you. Kill you bury you in the earth, only to rise again and make all things new. Draw near to them, my son, so that they may draw near to us. And Jesus didn't look at his father and say, that's crazy. Why would I lay aside my divinity for them? He didn't say that. He said, send me. Hallelujah. How majestic is his creation and how majestic is his name in all the heavens above and in all the earth beneath. When I look at it all as a picture of his creative power, when I look at how he crowns us with glory and loving kindness through his redeeming power, how can I do anything? How can we do anything but praise? So try it. Go for a hike. Open your eyes. Take in the majesty of all creation with new, wide-eyed wonder. Chuckle. Worship team, would you come up? I I keep telling people, I I find myself going on walks and I'm literally laughing out loud. Which is such a grace. I, I look around and it's just like, I can't believe I'm here. I just can't believe I'm here, God. With these people, in this place, at this church, in this valley, with these mountains and this river and this like beauty and glory and majesty. It's just like, oh, did you ever do that? I hope you do. Because that right there, is a weapon for you. That's the icing on the cake of praise of Yahweh. When, when we allow ourselves into that space, joy erupts and darkness is dispelled and hope is fanned into flame. That's why we sing. Isn't that why, like sometimes, have you, have you ever come to church and it's just been like one of those mornings where you woke up and it was just the wrong side of the bed? Am I the only one? And you're just like, you're crabby. And you don't know why. Like, I'm just crabby today. I have no reason to be crabby. And then you come in here (laughs) and you stand among some other people and you see that one like crazy person like moving their whole body and and lifting up their arms, which were a little bit at grace than where I've been at other times in my life. But I think we could actually even do a little bit better. You know, praise, it can involve all your body. It's not just for concerts and, auditor- and uh, stadiums, folks. It can happen right here. You can lift up your arms. You can wave them. You can get other parts of your appendages moving. It's really okay, right? It shows joy. Now, you can praise without doing that. Don't get me wrong. Don't feel guilty. If you're stoic and just want to be really still, that's cool. That can happen here. You don't have to move to praise, but I found it helps. So are you ready to praise? Let's stand and praise Yahweh.